This morning, uh, we're going to start the book of Titus. So if you want to turn there uh, to the book of Titus, we'll, we'll get there eventually. But I, I want to tell you that um, uh, even before we get started, I kind of stalled out uh, in our study of the book of Titus. I, I wanted to go a lot farther than I'm going to go this morning, but God's been working on me over the last month and uh, really brought some things in my own life uh, put them right in front of me, and I want to talk about them this morning uh, as we look at uh, really the first half of a verse of uh, half a verse of Titus chapter one. Um, so, but it really brings about a question that that really is the thing that perplexes me: is where do I fit? Where do I fit in the body of Christ? And when I ask the question, "Where do I fit in the body of Christ?" I'm not. What I'm asking is, where do I fit in the food chain? Uh, those of you who have gone to school, you realize, especially in the ocean, you have this picture of this one big fish eating the smaller fish, eating the smaller fish, and going all the way down the line, and, and everyone gets eaten in the end, and it's all good, and it's this big cycle of bigger fish eating smaller fish. And sometimes as we consider uh, God's church, we kind of ask that question, you know, where do I fit? Where do I rank? Uh, I have a friend who was in the military, and uh, he was in one particular branch, and he was in a particular city where there was a couple of different bases. And he was out on the street, he was in uniform, and he came across uh, someone else, another officer from another branch of the military. And they had this awkward uh, standoff where they came across one another and they kind of stood there and and you could see this uh, mental calculation going on. They're looking at each other's uniform and they're counting bars and stars and all these other things and they're looking at them and each of them is asking, not out loud, are you supposed to salute me or am I supposed to salute you? And I think sometimes as we look at the body of Christ in a local church, we ask that question. We, we bump into each other in the hallway and we ask the question, am I ahead of you or are you ahead of me? Uh, where do we fit here? How does this all this ranking system work? And I, I want to tell you that Though I may not say this out loud, uh, sometimes I struggle with this in my own heart of where do I fit in the body of Christ. We're going to look at chapter one of uh, Titus chapter one, verse one a. I don't even know if it's that far. But anyways, so if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the first nine verses. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. God, I ask your blessing on our morning. I ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, work in our hearts, um, some of our hearts being cold uh, to this whole discussion. God, thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Thank you for your word. And I ask your blessing on our whole study of the book of Titus that you might uh, recharge and really uh, refocus your church onto being what you want it to be. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the first word says Paul. That's where we're going to start with Paul. Uh, those of you who know any uh, have some history, the background of the Bible, you know the Apostle Paul as being the writer. And that Paul, he wasn't one of the original disciples that he came after. In fact, uh, God stopped him dead in his tracks uh, and brought the gospel to him and saved him in a dramatic way. Paul who we're talking about. And as we consider this book, you'll see this interesting thing that Paul uh, is inspired by God to write. uh, And he writes this to Titus, who is really a representation of this church in Crete or churches in Crete uh, or in this adjoining area. This is what we're going to do. And and as we see this church in Crete is a local church, we are also a local church. We are a church that meets in a particular area, a group of people who live kind of in this area who are seeking to be what God wants us to be. This is what we're we're doing. As you think about who Paul is, I, I always think of one of the things when uh, you consider someone's resume, and uh, most of you, how many of you have written a resume? How many of you have written a resume? Uh, sometimes it's kind of discouraging. I remember back in the day where I uh, was applying to be the youth pastor of Bear Valley Church, and I sat before my computer. It was a sweet computer, I'm sure, too, compared to today's standards. And I remember thinking, so what do you put on a resume when you're my age? Uh, and you're, 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 you're taking insignificant things and you're trying to make them seem huge. Yeah, you're, you know, I, I was, uh, a resident, uh, assistant, which meant that I was making sure that, uh, these 20 guys didn't wreck, uh, a particular wing of the master's college. That was my job. And, um, I remember one of the things I said, uh, one of the one of the great accomplishments I did as a resident assistant, I got a lot of guys to go bowling every week. And I I remember I wrote on there I said, uh, planned uh, planned and orchestrated activities for the unity of the brethren. 
I was pleased with that. I, I got it. When I think of Paul's resume of who he was, I think of Philippians chapter 3. And when Paul writes and he talks about his life apart from Christ, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm part of the Pharisees. I was raised in a family that was part of God's people. In fact, I knew the tribe that I was a part of. I, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was trained. In fact, as I went on, I, I rose above and I, I persecuted the church because that was what I was supposed to be doing. I have an amazing resume. And then as he ties up that section, he says, uh, it's all trash. It's all trash. All that stuff on my resume, it's trash. And filthy trash. And as he goes about that, he talks about how he presses on leaving that baggage behind. And so as we come to Paul, we realize that he has an impressive list that in reality isn't so impressive at, at all. Uh, what, what Paul says next as he identifies, and I, I think we can all understand why Paul writes his own name at the beginning, right? Uh, when you get a letter and you, you don't see the, the return address or anything, if you don't know who it's from, the first thing you do is you skip down to the bottom and you say, who is this from? And your perspective on that letter uh, is determined by who wrote their name there. If it's someone super important, you go, oh, wow, I need to read. If it's other people, you go, it's junk mail. I don't even care what it says. You go through it and you're like, ah, I don't know, you know. And Paul, what he does is at the beginning of his letter, he says, Paul, and now he's going to identify himself. And as you introduce yourself, uh, a lot of times you, you, you connect it with something that you do. Like, uh, if I were to introduce myself to you, I'd say, Kevin, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. And that would be a self-identification. I'm telling you what I am or what I do. Or uh, sometimes you do it by hobbies. You say, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Kevin. Uh, I golf. I don't really golf, but I, I, if I did golf, maybe some of you would say it. Uh, maybe I would say it this way. Hi, I'm Kevin. I barbecue, you know, and uh, uh, something profound like that. I find it interesting that Paul, that Paul, as he identifies himself, the first thing he tells us, look at it. What does he say? Paul is servant. Paul is servant. This morning, we're going to really focus on that. Paul, a servant. In other translations, other than the English Standard Version that I use, um, it uses the word slave or bond slave or bond servant. And the idea being there is of the lowest of the lowest slaves. And what happens to you when you hear the word slave? You kind of freeze up inside, right? You kind of go, oh... I remember as a child uh, going through school and, you know, uh, you get a sense of how great it is to be an American as you grow up. And I grew up in a home of, uh, of an immigrant who believed that, uh, who left his country to come to this country. And he would tell me this is the greatest country. And, and yet you go through some times in your country and slavery being one of the biggest. And you go, oh, 
I, I wish that wasn't true. And even uh, there's a sense of uh, being from California. I always look down from those people from the south as just being stupid. Those were the people who did it to us over there. And if you've traveled over in the south, maybe you believe that to be true. I don't know. But I, I, think, I think I can't relate to that. I can't relate to that, that someone would look at someone's skin or you know, the family that they're a part of and determine that they're lesser than, than they are. And so I, I push that off and I, I don't like to think about it. And so, as I say this morning, Paul self-identifies himself. He, he's the one, he says, let me tell you about who I am. I'm a slave. Paul, a slave. How does that hit you this morning? How does that that shape you? As Paul, in all his significance, in all his accomplishment, as his impressive list, he goes to define himself and he says, a slave. He doesn't just say slave, but he says a slave of God. And, And really, that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? It's, it's that picture there that he says, I am a slave of God. I, I see my relationship as not just being a, identifying me as being a slave, but a slave of him. You, you know about uh, what it is to work for a great company. I hope you understand the difference of that. I know that uh, there's some companies that you may have worked for in the past that you're embarrassed to say that you worked for them. Uh, some of you, if you are introducing and self-introducing yourself and, and saying, let me tell you about who I am, and you say, well, uh, I, I used to work for Enron in the accounting department. You know, oh, yeah, that doesn't exude all this, uh, you know, sense of, like, greatness. Being from, uh, having spent some time up in the Bay Area, I've met some people who work for Google or Apple, and there's a sense of, like, Are you impressed? You know, Uh, are you impressed? Just the mere fact that I I introduced myself and being connected as an employee. And listen, this is what Paul's doing. He says, I'm a slave. I'm a bondservant. God of God. He's the one who owns and possesses me. He's the one who is my master. He is the one that I am a slave to. And I think that for most of us here this morning, even though slavery itself seems to be repulsive, the idea of being a slave of God, we understand the beauty of that, that he is worthy of us to serve him with all that we are. Paul tells us one other thing in this opening section here. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means one sent. It's the one who has comes with a message on behalf of someone else. And Paul's careful uh, to explain that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. This idea of being an apostle holds with it uh, the idea of authority, the idea of authority. And I want you to understand this, excuse me, uh, I want you to understand as best I can describe it. it. I was in the local coffee shop here a while back, and um, I saw a man walk in. And to me, he just looked like another man. He was wearing clothes similar to what I was wearing. He walked in, and, you know, I'm not saying he was he looked a little cocky, but 
He probably looked at me and thought the same thing. But he, he walked in, and as he turned around, dressed similar, as he turned around, I saw that he was wearing a badge. He was wearing a badge. And I go, aha, he's a cop. That's why he's cocky, because he's a cop. <laughs> you know, those of Bear Valley Church excluded. But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying, you know. Uh, that sense of authority, that sense of authority. And where is the authority? It's in the badge, right? If, so, if someone came up to me in plain clothes and he walked upon me and said, hey, what are you doing? And I'd say, hey, it's none of your business what I'm doing. But if they produce a badge, I would say, uh, yes, officer, what would you like to know? Because <laughs> they've shown their sense of authority. You see, Paul, as he's writing, he says, Paul, I'm a slave. I'm a slave of God. I'm insignificant. I'm, I'm just a slave. I, I don't have all these opinions and uh, my own agenda. I don't, I don't go forward and do my own thing. I'm just a slave of God. But I'm also an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been sent. I've been sent with a message. It's interesting, uh, as he puts that down as an apostle, we realize that God inspired him to write and to establish most of the churches we know of in the New Testament. Paul, was, he was sent by Christ as an apostle. As we look uh, upon his authoritative message, I want to tell you that as we march through the book of Titus, we will enjoy his authoritative message to the churches in Crete or the church or in the, the surrounding areas. We will enjoy that as our, our authoritative message because Jesus has sent Paul with a message for that church that we get to read and to know for certain, for certain. We don't have to fumble around and go, I wonder what Jesus thinks because he's revealed it to us in the book of Titus. In our world today, it seems like we like to do the group think. Tell me all your thoughts on God. To get together and say, well, what do you think? And I'll tell you what I think. And we'll just kind of blend that together and somehow come up with a group answer. It's like a bad biology project in high school, right? You bring your mix and I'll bring mine and we'll kind of patch that together and hope we get a good grade. We have the answer. We have it. And it has been sent through the apostles to us for us to read and enjoy. God has shared with us what he thinks about his church, what he desires for his church. I want to go back and talk about slavery for a minute and really kind of do a slavery Bible study, if you will. And I want to tell you that greatness, and this, this is the thing that I struggle with, is when I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you all and wondering where I fit and who, where's my rank and uh, what part of the food chain I'm in. And when I, when I struggle with all those things, and then I look to the scripture, I see one thing. That greatness, greatness is tied to my position as a slave. Greatness is tied to my position as a slave. 
I want to, uh, if you want to turn there in Mark chapter 10, I want to give you some pictures of slavery in the New Testament and really uh, to unpack what Christ thought of slavery, the way he looked at it, to understand what Paul was getting at when he said that he was a slave. In Mark chapter 10, in the midst of two uh, men struggling for position at the prompting of their mother, could be a sermon there, right? The whole mother thing. No offense to you moms right here, but your kids aren't the best. And you know how I know that? Because mine are. (laughs) Rebecca told me so. Uh, uh, In the midst of that, Jesus interjects. He interjects. um, And he wants to define what it is to both of greatness and what it is to serve and in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 43, it says this, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all, of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word serve there is a little bit different than the one in our passage, but it's the picture of table serving. And it's the idea of the one sitting down in a restaurant having the power and the other saying, I, I need something. And the other bringing it and being that minister and being that servant that does everything that's needed. And sometimes as I l- think of that table serving picture, I go, oh, so it's not a big deal. Just Jesus met my needs. But if you think about that passage, is it says that how did he minister to us? He served us in a way that he gave his life, gave his life. That maybe the it seems insignificant that he was serving us, but the way he served us was he gave his life. And so as you see the picture of being a slave or a servant or someone subservient underneath, you see that Jesus took that place. And undoubtedly as the disciples were sitting around going, wow, we were wanting to know who was going to be greater than the other. We, we were wanting to know what rank we got. And Jesus, you said that you're going to serve us in a way to give your life? It's hard for us to imagine and to take. You want to turn over to John chapter 13. I'd be shocked, but uh, many years ago I preached this passage and I'm just assuming that all of you have bad memories and have forgotten it by now. I think it's a fair assumption too. Your title in your Bible, it probably says, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. In a few moments, we're going to share in another picture in this time where they're around the table. But Jesus is there with his disciples. And once again, they're probably flowing in their mind about Jesus getting ready to take over. They know that it's coming. And they know that Jesus is done 
teaching and now he's going to take over and they're getting excited because they are figuring probably that they're going to take their place in his cabinet and he's going to explain, you know, you're going to be the sergeant at arms. You're going to be the, tre-, you know, they're, they're getting ready. They're excited about this kingdom that is to come. And as they gather around for this meal, and Jesus does something, I'll just read it to you and then we'll make comments. I got to turn there. John chapter 13. And I want to start reading for you at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew uh, who was about to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have been giving you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And he goes on. Do you see what happened there? So Jesus is with his disciples. They've come in for a meal. And they're not sitting at a table like you or I would sit. They're not wearing shoes that you or I would wear. Some of them maybe, but shoes that I would wear, but not that you would wear. Maybe, Anyways, they're wearing some type of sandals and they're uh, walking and and they're walking on dusty roads. And, and there's a sense of, you know, they're men, okay? They're men. I think you can put all this together. So so they're sitting at a table that's probably eight to a foot tall, eight inches to a foot tall. And they're sitting there. They're reclining at this table. And there's a sense of their feet being exposed. And undoubtedly, they looked around and they saw the filthy feet of men. Maybe it had rained. Maybe we don't know what what it was like, but they saw the filthy feet and it wasn't some symbolic thing that they did. It was a service as a party. As you would come in, the servant would take care of your feet before you would eat. But there was no servant. And so I picture the disciples looking, seeing one another's feet and going, somebody should take care of this. What's your rank? I outrank this guy, so he should probably get up and kind of take care of this stuff here. shouldn't be Jesus, but it should be. It's not going to be me. I'm a lot smarter. I'm not one of those fishermen. You know, they, they deal with slimy, dirty things, smelly things all the time. They should do it. 
And so there's a sense in which that for whatever reason, none of them got up. None of them said, let me serve you. Let me be the one. And you can imagine what happened when Jesus got up and he he identifies himself with the outer garment and the, the new garment of the servant. And you can imagine the disciples going, idiot, you should have got up. You should have done that. Oh. I'll do, I'll do it. No, no. Oh. Now Jesus is, be, oh, this is just wrong. And you should have done it. No, he should have done it. That guy should have, over there. I know, oh, not me. And Peter, I love Peter. Um, he, I feel like I have the heart of Peter. Not the good parts, but the bad. Where Peter, in all his conviction, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. And Jesus goes, no way, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no... Okay then, uh, all of me then. The ultimate flip-flopper and swing voter, you know. I have great convictions. Oh, maybe I don't. Let's change it to the... Uh, yeah, now I have bigger convictions on the other side, completely opposite. I feel like Peter, you know, I, I feel like I have great answers. And then somebody tells me, okay, well, maybe this one then, you know. We have that heart that says that we think, and, and, and Peter, Peter understood how offensive it would be for the king of kings, his master's teacher, to do this. And so he says, this can't be. And then he goes, oh, okay, it's a good thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow him to do this. Um, so Jesus serves, Jesus serves this, this whole picture is an offense to us, isn't it? I I feel myself as myself as one of the disciples going, Oh, Jesus shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing this. And this is the point. This didn't happen, by the way. I didn't read this. I'm making this up. Okay. This is not true. This is not true. So Jesus, after he's done washing the disciples' feet, he says, Now you disciples, I have served you by washing your feet. Who wants to wash my feet? And what happens is pandemonium breaks out. It's like first graders lining up for cupcakes. They're, these grown men are jumping and stumbling over each other and saying, Pick me! Pick me! I'll do it. And they're pushing and shoving and saying, no, no, you shouldn't do it. I should do it. And, and they're jockeying for position and they're saying, let me serve you, Christ. I'll be the one to serve you. I'll be your slave. You know what? Uh, most of us talk like that. We talk like that all the time. I, I, I'm a servant of God. I just love to serve the Lord. I, I, you know, I, I, even, you know, I'm the lowest of low before the Lord. We, we understand the importance of serving God. We understand his greatness and our lowliness. And, the, and, and we even understand the privilege, the privilege of serving God. And yet, as we look at this passage, as Jesus modeled for us, what happened? How did he respond to them? 
What was this grand lesson out of this this, uh, washing the disciples' feet? It says in verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Do you see do you see what happens? Jesus in all his uh, amazing glory and who he is being our king and in awe of who he was and is and and we love to serve Christ. And he says if you want to serve me, if you want to serve me, serve one another. Serve one another. If you want to be my slave, if you want to show yourself functioning as I've saved you to be my slave, willingly serve one another. Serve one another. Two things I want to point out about that service. This is, this is why I struggle. I'll just tell you, I'll try to be honest with you on this. I think to myself, God, I want to serve you. You're so great. But I don't want to serve Rebecca. I don't want to serve my wife. And I certainly don't want to serve my bratty kids. I certainly don't. Present company excluded. I uh, I think about uh, Brandon and I go, I'm his boss. To serve Brandon, no way. I'm his boss. And, and I, I get this picture, I get this picture that we have limitations to this slavery. This picture that, you know, I will serve you if you're higher than I am. I I will serve you. I will serve the Lord, uh, but only I'll serve you if you're higher than I am. And, And the reality is this, that he points one to another and he says, slave for one another. Slave for one another. I find one other thing interesting uh, in this, and there's probably others, but a slave has no limitations. You know, when a a slave uh, gets their orders from the master, they don't say, you know what? I don't really do that. That's not my area of expertise. I remember a a situation in uh, another church I was a part of where uh, someone... Someone wanted to teach. They wanted to teach. They wanted to teach in a position that wasn't available. And they came to me as a pastor and they said, hey, I want to teach. And I said, oh, we don't have that right now, but we do need someone uh, to work in the nursery. And they said, well, I don't do babies. Everybody does babies. Diapers are what are in, you know. You know, actually, diapers are a great business, by the way, right? They just, you know, keep keep needing them, right? You know, fill up one, you get another one right after it, usually. You see, this this picture of slave is so important for us to grasp because it shows our position that we take in the body of Christ. There's not a sense of somebody should take care of that. Go through this process. Somebody should take care of this. Yes, somebody should take care of this. Well, who should it be? It should be a slave. Well, who is a slave? I am a slave. I am a slave. Do you get it? If you want to serve the God of the universe, you serve one another. We're slaves. 
I'll just briefly uh, talk to you about the whole apostolic thing. So Paul was an apostle. Uh, I just I don't want to break, be rough on any of you as I describe. None of you are apostles. That may be a shock to some of you. None of you are apostles. Uh, but I want to tell you this. This is beautiful. As a big A apostle, the apostle, or one of the apostles, as Paul wrote scripture, he had authority. And the beautiful thing, this is so exciting, as, as we take God's word and share it with others, we know we have a right answer. We know we have a right message because it's been given from God. You see, as his slaves, we too have a message that has authority. It's his word. Well, let me give you three things as I attempt to bring this home to us here this morning, just these few words that we've looked at in Titus chapter 1. First thing I want to tell you is this. Your significance, your significant lies in the one you serve. Your significant, if you struggle with significance and you wonder where your place is, as I do, where is your significant? It is, it is in the one you serve. It's not in your title. It's not in your badge. And it's not in the applause that other people shower upon you when you serve him. It's just in him. It's just in him. The second thing I want to tell you this morning is to be a good servant. A servant realizes that his attention is solely on his master's wishes. Solely on his master's wishes. If you're going to be a good servant or slave of the Lord, you're constantly going to have to ask the question, what does your master want of you? You know, it's hard is, you know, everyone talks about the fork in the road. There's two paths, and, you know, some have even written poetry about it, and the one less traveled, and all those other things. And yet, I have realized in my life that rarely do I come to this way or that way. It's usually this way, that way, or this other way, or this other way over here, this other idea over here. And there's, there's usually all kinds of, it's like a rainbow of different options in front of me. And it's not just this lonely, uh, self, you know, reflective time where I say, hmm, which one is the best one? It's in the midst of chaos. It's in, yeah, I have all these different options and, and people are pushing me down different options and others are calling to me, hey, come over here. It's way better than that one you're about ready to choose right over there. And I'm getting pulled and tugged from all these different directions and my own flesh cries out and says, this is the one that I really like right here. And, and I get so caught up and distracted by other people pushing and shoving and, and people calling out to me and my own flesh desiring some things that I forget that as a slave, as a slave, all I have to do is follow my master. Follow my master. I don't have to understand everything that's going on, but just follow where he wants me to go. It's not about what's best for me or best for everyone else. or Just follow him. This is what a slave does. And lastly, just to reiterate, your master 
calls you to slave for one another. For one another. That your life is not some self-serving search for happiness. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, most of the time I fall back to uh, wanting to be king and looking for my kingdom. Wanting to be king and looking for my kingdom. And when I'm unhappy, what I do is I go, I'm searching and grabbing and I'm trying to set up life where everyone serves me and I get whatever I want. And if I don't get what I want, I complain and I call people to change things. So finally I can just sit there and go, ah, I am king and this is my kingdom. And then in those moments where I have it all, I always think, I thought I'd be a lot more happy. I I thought that this would be more fulfilling. And the thing that I've forgotten is that I have a master and I'm a slave. And the best thing for this slave is to serve his master, which means that I would serve one another. I would serve you all. This is what it means. This is this is my place in the church, okay? It's my place in the church. And some of you are laughing at that. It's your place too in the church. We're just fellow slaves. Let's pray and ask that God would remind us of this. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, forgive me of my pride that concerns myself with rank and considers myself better than others and doesn't consider you at all. God, may you uh, mark me. Would you mark me, Lord Jesus, with the picture of yourself as you worked with your disciples and explained that to be service, to be great, to be great, to find my place as that slave is where greatness will be found and and also to remember the picture that you gave us in your word where you served your disciples doing a filthy job and then called us to serve one another. God, thank you for the grace of the gospel. Help us to enjoy it to its fullest. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.